The following show is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos, and this is our monthly coaching call. Our guest today is Emily Ziegler from over at CNA Financial Group. Emily, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Frank. So, Emily, um, you've been working with us for a bit, and one of the areas that you have a wonderful knowledge of is in the area of student loans, uh, helping parents with regard to kids who are getting ready to go to college, and also you've been helping people with regard to how to refinance college debt and giving them some great insights. So we're doing a two-phase or two-part series on this, and today what I'd like to chat with you a little bit about is what are parents and you know, students looking at as it relates to you know, college costs, things of that nature. I know when we're advising people nowadays, we're seeing that college costs can easily be twenty-five to 50000 a year or more. So when you think in terms of the fact that the cost of a four-year education, if you're lucky to get through in four years, could be anywhere from hundred dollars to $200,000, that's per child. And all of that, you know, comes out of, you know, different forms, you know, whether it's um, grants and scholarships or whether it's loans or whatever the case might be. And so what I'm hoping that we can really provide to everybody today is just some insights on how some of this works. So maybe we can start by just saying, you know, what what's considered free money, you know, because everybody's going to try um, and there may be some money there that you can get. You don't have to pay back. So maybe just address where the free money comes from, if there is any. And Absolutely. we're lucky enough for that. We love free money. <laughs> <laughs> free money is a good thing. Sure. So um, these, you know, getting started and applying to college is a pretty scary process, especially for parents doing it for the first time. Um, and so when you know, you're going about that process and it's hard enough to like decide where the child is going to go to school, um, let alone how then you're going to fund it. And it may have been something that's been weighing on your mind for a long time as you sock away money um, very diligently for retirement one day, uh, knowing that, you know, some of this is going to fall off your balance sheet as the parents to, to pay for college. And so, um, you know, the process really all gets started by filling out the FAFSA. Um, and so, you know, no matter how much or how little you make, that's the first step in your process of applying for financial aid or just seeing what you may qualify for. Um, and so that, you know, you do across the board, no matter which schools you're applying to. And just so that we're on the same page. So the FAFSA form is the federal form. Uh, every college is going to have you, you know, complete one or you should complete one. And it's also important for all of our listeners that every college satisfies how their financial requirements are differently. You know, whether some will give money, some don't give money, whatever the case might be. But it starts with that FAFSA form because it could be, and Emily, certainly not my area of expertise on the college side, but it's either needs-based or non-needs-based of what may be available. Absolutely. And the FAFSA just kind of gets all your information into one place. So then the college can look at that information and make a determination on are they going to give you any money, that free money that we talked about via scholarship. Um, you know, and then there's other things that that leads into in terms of qualifying for different loans or grants. Um, so there are some grants out there for college, and they're pretty much need-based. Um, and so if you don't qualify for those needs-based grants, um, then you can go the loan route. Um, 
you know, before we go there too, and it's important for our listeners because I, you know, I'm, I happen to be in a lucky spot in my life, which is all three of mine are done, <laughs> done paying and so forth. And it was interesting. Um, we didn't qualify for any needs-based uh, aid, but what was nice is there was academic money that was available based upon grades and Absolutely. SATs, um, and just looking at the the individual as you know if they've got. And so I always tell parents is so if you don't think you're going to qualify or your child's going to qualify, work with them to have really good grades and help them to get a good SAT or whatever. And the reason being is because they could get academic money, or by the way, if they happen to be an athlete, maybe there may be some opportunities there if they're going Division One, Division Two, and Division Three doesn't give money for sports, but Division Three may help you to get into a school mm-hmm. that you might not have gotten into before, um, where the numbers might work. So, Absolutely. just an FYI for you know our listeners, which is, you know, again, there's needs based, non needs based. It starts with the grades, so important work on those grades and so definitely and and there's a lot of merit-based scholarships out there just even in your own community um you know when i was applying to college i I applied to every different association in town that may be willing to give some money based on grades and you know being involved and all those extracurriculars really do help in the end Um, and then on the other side of things uh the college itself also a lot of times they give out some merit-based scholarships so if you're not too athletic um, hopefully you, you've got uh, you've studied really hard and can get some of those too. Very good. So once you get the FAFSA in, okay, they'll come back and then you're if you're eligible for you know scholarship, if you're eligible for grants, um, you're going to go out to the private sector a little bit, look if there's any other programs out there that you may be eligible for, and then it comes down to the part that it's like, or here's your the family's responsibility. This is what's going to need to be paid, and it's going to get paid one of two ways. It's either going to be that somebody's got to strike a check and pay it, okay? And I always say, you know, we have a term, which is it's going to come off of the parent's balance sheet at that point, which is their financial statement's going to reduce by the amount they pay for college, and that money has gone, you know, it's an investment in their child, but it's not there for retirement anymore it's not there for other opportunities it, it, it goes towards college and if it's not available off the financial statement then it's got to come out of some type of a loan so emily maybe you could talk about what are some of the loans that they're looking at and maybe just a, a brief overview on how some of them work absolutely um, before i jump into that i would say that this is the point in college planning that you should take a hard look at the schools your children have applied to and see how much total they're going to cost you. Um, I find that, you know, as an 18-year-old, it's really hard to make a determination of, oh, this is the best school for me. Um, it's an academic decision as much as it is a financial decision. So if somebody's giving you a full ride, you know, but your best friend is going to the school down the street that's going to cost you and they're not offering anything, that's when it's time to sit down as a family and kind of make some decisions there before you go the loan route. I, I always say to parents, too, and to you know, families, I say, you know, make sure that you're going to school on purpose. So yep. I hear sometimes, oh, they want to get the college experience. Well, you know, that college experience could cost you a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars. And they had a really great college experience, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's all good. But the reality is, is that when you look at that, you said, wow, had I had that hundred to two hundred thousand dollars still in my hands and invested towards retirement, it might have cost. I might have had an extra half a million dollars at retirement with some rate of return on that. 
Absolutely. So it's important that you go on purpose and you're focused. Definitely. And and so then getting into the loans, if you do have some type of gap to make up uh, between what you know scholarships or grants have been offered, uh, and then you've got to foot the bill for the rest. And so um, there are a few different types of loans. So first we'll start out with the federal loans. Um, and so the loans are going to be either subsidized or unsubsidized. When they're subsidized, that's more of the need-based. Um, when they're unsubsidized, then that's just filling the gap in terms of what the family owes versus what the school or federal government's offering. And just take a minute to explain what subsidized basically means. Is it like the government's helping to pay part of it? I don't think so. (laughs) No, no. Um, So the major difference between the two um, sometimes can be the interest rate, but for the most part, it's that when the loan is subsidized, it does not accumulate interest while the student is in school. they're both due, they both come due six months after graduation, um, but if the loan is unsubsidized, the, from the day you take out the loan until the day you start paying, maybe four years and six months later, or five years and six months later, it's been accumulating interest from the start. So you could be, you know, if you went four years or whatever, and if you had a loan rate of, say, 6% or whatever, you could already, you know, once you finish school, that loan could be 20 to 25% higher than what you started with. Absolutely. So I see it all the time. to know that. Very good. And then, um, you know, other than that, then there's another type of federal loan program out there called the Parent Plus Loan, where the parent actually has to co-sign for the loan. So not only is, you know, the student on the hook for it, but also it goes onto the parent's credit report. They're both equally liable for it. Um, Those tend to come at a little bit higher interest rate, but have similar terms. Very good. And then, you know, so if we look and we were like, okay, so I did my FAFSA form. Once I completed the FAFSA form, it came back and it said, you know, I get a certain amount of merit-based money, hopefully. Um, then after that, the, the school, and by the way, every school deals with these things differently. So, like, you may have a school that is $25,000 and they don't give you much help, and all of a sudden you get a school that's $40,000, but they give a lot of help, and it may be cheaper than the $25,000 school. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on how they meet their needs. Once we go through those and then we know, okay, and then we've got this much, whatever that amount is, it's available in federal programs, you know, whether it's subsidized, unsubsidized or whatever, then we've got private money. Yeah. And so whenever I have a client who's trying to figure out how to pay for school and um, ends up going the loan route, uh, I always suggest that you stick with your federal options first Um, for one of the major reasons being that federal loans offer a certain amount of protection and options um, for the students that private loans don't. So when you think of a private federal loan, you can really just think of it as a personal loan. Um, they don't really offer, hey, you know, if I get out of school and I don't find a job right away, you know, are there programs where I can pay based on my income? Most private loans do not do that versus where, you know, when you graduate with federal loans, there's definitely options for you. Um, private loans are going to have, uh, always have a higher interest rate um, you're going to have to, again, as a parent, co-sign for it because, you know, without income from the student, they're not going to give a student a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 loan. Um, and just like, you know, I mentioned before with that less protection element, that is really a big deal because you don't know what's going to happen, say, you know, in the job market when the student graduates or what career they might go into where they may not be making as much as they thought they would. And with the rising cost of college, these loan amounts get really high. So their payment ends up being pretty high when they graduate. It's not uncommon that we see people that are graduating 
and basically they had it's like they have a mortgage already you know, of a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand, and depending upon you know what occurred, and it's like having mortgage payments, you know. Um, so, yeah, and and you know it's really important to recognize that, especially during the decision making process of you know what's your major going to be, what school are you going to go to. A lot of times I'll list out or invite the student to come in um, with the parents and and ask them, okay. Here's where, you know, you want to live when you graduate. Do you want to have a car? Yes, okay, here's your car payment. Here's, you know, you want to go to this school. We're going to have to take out this much in loans, and so here's what your loan payment is. Is that going to work for you based on the career you're choosing? Great insight. And then one of the ones that I know that a lot of parents do tend to, you know, look at sometimes is their home equity. Absolutely. Um, and, and that is always a good option as well. So a lot of times... Um, when we meet people, they have quite a bit of equity in their house by the time their child's ready to go to school. Uh, and so what happens is because they're a little bit illiquid, maybe they've paid their, uh, you know, paid up on their mortgage more so than what was due or what have you. Um, they have, you know, they have the assets, they have the money, but it's tied up in the house. So what you can do is actually take out a home equity line of credit um, and use that to pay for college um, instead of maybe going the loan route. And, you know, like, like you said before, Frank, it's whose balance sheet is it coming off of at the end of the day? If you really want to be able to help your child and, and pay for school, you know, people have different feelings about that. Some people think they should have some skin in the game, and others say, no, it's my responsibility, and I want to do that. So the HELOC is, is always a good option for um, people who want to go that route. Very good. So as we wrap up this program, you know, just as a, a very simple overview for everyone, uh, again, couple very simple things. One, make sure you're going to school on purpose. Two, look at a few different schools because different schools meet their financial aid or financial needs differently. Understand the difference between grants, scholarships, and then they're to federal loans, then they're private loans, then they're to home equity loans. And it's always best to sit down with what I refer to as a holistic advisor, you know, an advisor typically through you know, that's associated with the Institute of Responsible Wealth, CNA Financial Group, or people that we know that really look at the whole picture to figure out how is this even going to impact retirement. So with that being said, um, we'd like to thank our guest today, Emily Ziegler. Thank you, Emily, for being with us. You're very welcome. And for all of our listeners, we wish you a great month. This has been Frank Congelos with Discovering Responsible Wealth. And this has been a program provided to you by the Institute of Responsible Wealth. Thank you and have a great month. Advisors of the Institute of Responsible Wealth may be licensed for investment and insurance products. The Institute of Responsible Wealth is an educational division of CNA Financial Group. CNA Financial Group and its advisors are an agency or an agent of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. The Institute of Responsible Wealth and CNA Financial Group are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian.